Good morning. morning. Well, brothers and sisters, I have a question for you, just as I often have for the kids. How is your Lent going? How are all of your Lenten disciplines holding up? Are you avoiding your temptations of chocolate or Coca-Cola? Have you kept up with the extra prayers or devotionals or Bible studies that you've tried to work into your life this Lenten season? Are you starting to feel a little more clean and holy every single day? Or are you starting to lean a little more in the direction of the unholy, just from the inability to keep up with all of it? Well, I have to be honest with you this morning, I'm probably leaning in the unholy direction. I've begun struggling, as I always do around this time in the 40-day season of Lent. This past week, while I was enjoying lunch and some long-time overdue catch-up with our hookah-smoking, Nile River-sailing, pyramid-exploring deacon, Mark Richardson, (laughs) I made that confession to him. I said, Mark, Lent is feeling more tough and spiritually exhausting this year than I remember it being in years past. And perhaps it's the extra Lenten programs and worship services that we always try to offer, or maybe it's the spring breaks that always fall within the season that throw off your routine. Maybe it's your fellow clergy who go off on world explorations and vacations during the Lenten season to Egypt or to the Hawaiian Islands where our curate is right now. Whatever it is, Lent is always easier, I find, as we move into the latter section to talk about on Sunday mornings than it actually can be to live out in the regular world Monday through Saturday. It's a challenge, and it always is. And perhaps that's why way back in the Middle Ages, the Western church made this very wise decision to declare a little bit of a reprieve for us on this, the fourth Sunday of Lent. Because Lord knows, anyone who is trying as hard as they can to keep up with those Lenten disciplines and fasts, whether it is giving up something simple like sweets or taking on a more intense daily Bible study, we all could use a little more color and a little more celebration to keep us going. If nothing else, it's sort of like that energy bar that you grab when you're getting ready to go into the gym or to go out for a walk or for a run. It might be just what you need to recharge you for the final leg of this 40-day season as we head towards Holy Week, towards Good Friday, and then finally arriving at the joy that comes to us at Easter, on Easter Sunday. This is a Sunday that is traditionally called Laetare Sunday, another one of those Latin words, Laetare, which means to rejoice. And it fits perfectly, not only with the rose colors that are mixed in today with the austere purple of Lent, but also with the readings that we have just heard this morning. The final verse of the psalm really sums up this day nicely. It says, Be glad, you righteous, and rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy, all who are true of heart. For if nothing else, that is our goal each and every Lent, to find a way, as hard as it can be, to be more true of heart. True of heart for God, true of heart for our faith, and true of heart for our community, our families, and our lives. And maybe if this Lent has become as tough for you as it has been for me, and if maybe you're not feeling all that true of heart just yet, 
then you can find your rejoicing, I think, this morning in that incredible story we just heard from the gospel, a story that many Christians feel is perhaps the greatest story ever told by Jesus in his life and in his ministry over 2,000 years ago. Really, we all know this story by heart, don't we? And we should recognize it rightly as the message of the enduring love and grace of God is delivered to us through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' parable known as the parable of the prodigal son. And it is indeed as life-giving in its message of hope and love as I think the bright colors and the appearance of flowers are in an otherwise dark desert landscape of Lent. As is always the case with Jesus' parables, we start out with looking for the twists and turns that we no longer really catch or notice because we've come to know this story so well in our lives and in our faith and in the world. The twists in this story come at the very beginning when the youngest son comes forward from the start to his father and says, Father, give me the property and the share of the property which belong to me. And the twist is that the father actually says, okay, I'll do it. No father would have divided up his property and given it away all those years ago as an inheritance to his youngest son before the father himself had passed away. But that's what begins the parable and would have first sort of caught the ears of those who were listening to Jesus speak. Then the second big twist appears at the end when there is a sudden outrage over the true failure to do justice, apparently, to the son by the father's other eldest son. Those parts of the story have, of course, become part of our understanding of the parable, but they were meant to catch our attention and keep us listening as we move through. And beyond those parabolic teachings, it's more than that that grabs us in this story, isn't it? It's the imagery that reaches inside of us, that keeps us thinking about this wonderful story and sometimes chokes us up. The young son who goes out into a distant, faraway country and who, while he's there, squanders every part of that rare inheritance given to him by his father in pursuit of what he himself, in his immaturity, was convinced that would fill him up and make him happy. When the money runs out and the famine strikes, the youngest son finds himself with nothing left to do but go out and beg for work, ending up in the lowest place possible for a Jewish man to be feeding unclean pigs in order to stay alive and to have what he needed to eat. And apparently, even with that, he was still hungry. I'd say for those of us in the South working in sheds and barns of a hot, dirty pig farm would still be a job none of us would really want to take on unless we absolutely had to. And it is truly at the bottom there for this young man, while longing for the very pods that he is feeding to the swans, uh, swine, excuse me, that the son must make the only decision he surely has left, and that is either to die or to pull himself up out of that mud and return in complete disgrace to offer himself as nothing more than a hired hand, for that's all he deserves, a slave to work for wages for his father on his father's estate. That makes the amazing image that follows it really the biggest twist of all, of the father catching a view of his son coming down that road from far off 
and then acting the way the father does, dropping everything, running out, not to chase his son away, but to embrace him and welcome him back. That has the tremendous power of the story that we call the parable of the prodigal son. We certainly don't need really a whole lot of deep theological discussion, do we, to see ourselves, or at least to be able to see ourselves at some stage of our life in the past being in that situation. Maybe we're in that situation right now, having to turn around and go back in shame and disgust with our heads hanging low over a bad mistake that we've made, saying for ourselves in the same tone, I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. That's where this young man has fallen. That's where we all have fallen, even if it wasn't so drastic or horrible. And what an incredible, hopeful vision. The father's reaction to his son's disgraceful return under these circumstances presents to us in our image of God, our heavenly father, and the ability for forgiveness and undying love no matter what. I don't think I fully felt the total impact myself of that line in the Holy Scripture until I had children of my own. Now I understand. For the father looks at his son and he calls out to his servant, And he says, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. These are the parts of the parable that are tremendous good news to all who have been prone to wander in a distant country. Now, every year when I read through this and get to this, I think again of what exactly the English description uh, distant country is when we get into the Greek. For the Greek is a little bit different. I know I've said this before. It's called chora macra. And that means that it's not some distant country, but it's actually a great wide open emptiness that the son has gone to. He's gone off to be in a foreign country to find happiness and he's ended up in the great wide open emptiness. Those of us who have made mistakes, those of us who sinned gravely against God or, or our neighbors have certainly found ourselves not just in a distant country, but in the choramakra, the wide open emptiness of this life. It is because of the message Jesus gives in the parable of the prodigal son that we have tremendous hope as Christians for new life and grace and forgiveness, if from nobody else, then from God. But the good news in this story doesn't just end there. For not all of us have been in the Choramacra. Not all of us have exactly fallen into that great wide open emptiness. Most of us sitting in the pews might be a little bit more like those Pharisees, and that's okay. We're listening to Jesus, and we're identifying more with the eldest son in the second half of the story, the one we don't generally talk about that much. That son works on the father's vineyard. He works there every day, and it seems to be without the right kind of reward. We see Jesus eating with those sinful people and we want to know, why is he spending time with them? We see the prodigal son coming from far off and we hope maybe his feet might hurt a little bit on those gravels as he walks with no sandals along the road. 
We don't always understand why the son who squanders all should be forgiven and given another chance. What about tough love? What about teaching him that lesson he needs to learn? But that's where the Pharisees, like the eldest son, are missing what God has already given over and over and over again to them. We have to catch ourselves and not let ourselves fall into that trap when we meet prodigal sons in our lives as Christians. For the good news for us, those laboring in the vineyard, those taking our faith seriously day in and day out, doing the best we can, giving up our weekend to be on a vestry retreat or laying out our talents and treasures to build up the church, to fill up our sanctuary with beautiful music, to reach out to those in the community who are in need. For those of us who do those things without question, the good news is that all that is the Father's is already becoming ours in everything we do. If we just stop looking for the rewards, we'll find they're already there deep within our hearts. We will start receiving the treasures of the kingdom daily for the reward isn't so much what's coming, although that's great too, what we get at the end of life. The reward is a life lived fully and completely in God right here and right now in Jesus Christ, letting go of all of that sin that binds us and keeps us enchained and being open to the freedom of a transformative, resurrected life that recharges us in our souls over and over again, no matter how much darkness we fall into, no matter how much emptiness we find ourselves in the midst of. The hope is already within us, and it's feeding us every single day. The real twist in this morning's gospel is that the parable of the prodigal son is really as much about all of us, no matter where we are in that story, as it is about the lost sons and daughters who cling to that story and find it lifting them up into the light. It is our hope also because we are all toiling for nothing less than the kingdom of God. And as good workers and disciples, we all find times when we must repent and recharge and begin retrusting God the Father above everything else because the inheritance is so tremendous and it's already there, already assured to us. In this pilgrimage through the desert, open your eyes and life is already beginning to break all around us. In the darkness of introspection, of fasting, Flowers are already budding and taking beautiful colors, ready to burst forth in the day. The question is simply this, are you ready for that final walk with Jesus? For every step you take, the God who loves you is rejoicing. He's ready to rush out and catch you halfway down the road and to bring you in and to give you hope and to give you life and to help you rejoice. Let's keep on rejoicing through these final days of Lent because Easter is coming. Thanks be to God.